right, well, we can turn in our Bibles again to Revelation chapter 6. Uh, Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 through 17. Uh, that's going to be the goal this morning anyway. The title of our message is The Great Day of Their Wrath. And the title of the message kind of gives away the point of emphasis here this morning, we've tried to emphasize the fact or the importance of understanding that this is God's wrath that is being poured out upon the world here that we see beginning in uh, chapter 6 and really carrying all the way through the book of Revelation to the end of chapter 19, we see God's wrath uh, being poured out on the world. And it's important to understand why He's doing that, which we'll get to shortly. But the, the Bible is very obvious here, if you were listening to the Scripture reading, that Jesus is the one who's breaking the seals. John, if you'll remember, after receiving the messages to the churches in chapters 2 and 3, that he was caught up to heaven, and he saw this incredible scene of Jesus uh, pictured as a lamb there receiving this scroll from the right hand of the Father. And now we're beginning to see the contents of this scroll being laid out as Jesus, the lamb, is the one who's qualified to break the seals, indicating that he is the one who is qualified to judge the world and to essentially be the one who is punishing the world for its rejection of God. And specifically, as again, we'll see shortly that there's a reason for this. It's not just because God is mean and, and capricious, but he has a plan for the world, which is that the world would live in a, in a creation the way that he intends it to be. And that is a world without, without sin. And this is what we see uh, being played out here, this process that the Bible, Old and New Testament, is very clear on that there will come a time of intense trouble and what we refer to as the tribulation before Christ comes to rule on the earth and have it be the way that he uh, wants it to be. The Bible is also very clear that the, that the church the universal church, people who have trusted in Christ as their Savior are not subject to this time of wrath. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 makes that very clear. 1 Thessalonians 5.9-10 makes that very clear. Hopefully, Revelation 3.10 that we spent some time studying is even more clear now that we are making our way into this uh, hour of testing, if you will, that will come upon the whole earth. Revelation 3.10, uh, if you'll remember, message to the church at Philadelphia says, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. The church there is promised deliverance from this time of intense persecution and trouble. 
And while we are promised deliverance from this specific seven-year period of tribulation, that does not mean that we don't face difficulties in this life. It is a, a false argument that is very prevalent that dispensationalists, such as we are, pre-tribulational rapturists, if you will, uh, believe in escapism, that we're just, we're just going to be delivered from all of our troubles and we just don't have a care in the world. And so therefore, we're just very apathetic uh, because we believe in this doctrine of a pre-tribulation rapture. So we just don't care. We don't care about people. We don't care about uh, this world. We don't care about the things going on in this world. We're just uh, selling everything and, and uh, waiting for Jesus to take us out of this world. Uh, if you're familiar, like I know you all are, with any uh, Christians, <laughs> with any pre-tribulationalist Christians, there's one word that I would not use to describe them, and that is apathetic. Uh, as a pre-tribulationalist, we realize that Jesus could come again at any moment to take us to heaven to be judged for the way that we have lived our lives. That is a doctrine that doesn't lead to apathy when properly applied to our to our hearts and minds, that is a doctrine that leads to uh, the the desire to do something, the desire to be pleasing to our Lord. And you just think of of the the pre tribulationalists in history, uh, who are, who are prominent people that we're familiar with: uh, J. Dwight Pentecost, John Walvoord, uh, Charles Ryrie. Uh, Stanley Toussaint, Andy Woods being a contemporary example. I, I wouldn't use the term apathetic to describe any of those uh, men. And of course, the innumerable number of women who believe in this doctrine, who dedicate their lives to serving the Lord. That is, that is the exact definition. Thinking that dispensation, pre-tribulational dispensationalists are apathetic is the very definition of a straw man argument. There, there is no truth to that whatsoever. So while we, we will be delivered from this great day of the wrath of the Lamb and the Father, that does not mean that we won't face uh, difficulties in life, even up to the point of, of having to choose whether we want to uh, deny Christ and live or stay true to Christ and die. There are literally millions of examples of people who have been martyred for their faith and, uh, and a pre-tribulation rapture belief does not negate that possibility, of course. It is, it is the biblical position when the Bible is properly understood. We find ourselves here in this uh, last section of the book, making our way through the tribulation period. Uh, Revelation 6 through 19 describes this seven-year period of future history, if you will, that culminates in Jesus coming again uh, to the earth. Now, why is God pouring out his wrath upon the world? Well, it's for, for a couple of reasons, but one of those reasons is that he promised to give uh, the nation of Israel a kingdom. 
And that kingdom is in essence the the method or the the method that God has determined to bring his savior into the world and for creation to be the way that God wanted it to be. But it is subject to one requirement. Being in this kingdom requires that you trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. It is a righteous kingdom. It is not a kingdom of our making. It is a kingdom of God's making. And it is a righteous kingdom. Sin can cannot uh, be a part of it when this kingdom begins. It must be righteous. It must come through the nation of Israel because God made specific promises to these people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that they would be a part of this kingdom. But they too have to believe they're not just in because of who their dad was. They're in the kingdom because they believe in the king, because they have trusted in the king. In the nation of Israel, when Jesus came the first time to the earth, they did not believe in him. The gospel of John makes that very clear. John 1, nine says, there was the true light which coming into the world, Jesus, enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Notice verse 11. He came to his own. That's Israel. And those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So God has made all these promises to the nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, unconditional promises, but they must receive them by way of faith, the same way that we receive eternal life. The nation of Israel must do the same thing or this kingdom will not come to the earth. So how are they going to be brought to the place where the nation of Israel trusts in Jesus as their Messiah. Oh, I'm glad you asked. It begins in chapter 6 of the book of Revelation, the process through which the nation of Israel and the world will have to go through to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. It begins very, very nice and peacefully, we've seen that this rider, the first seal is broken and this rider on the white horse comes into the world promising peace and safety. Peace and safety to the nation of Israel. I will solve this problem of the Palestinians and the Jewish people. I think that's going to be a major part of this whole uh, issue of peace coming to the Middle East. They, the, the Bible is clear that they're going to uh, think that they have peace. The nation of Israel is going to think that they have peace through this rider on the white horse, who is, of course, not Jesus Christ, but he is the Antichrist. He is an imitation of Christ. 
we have seen. Uh, and we've talked about Daniel chapter 9 and how it too describes this Antichrist in the beginning of this tribulational period, Daniel 9, 24 through 27, one of those very important passages to understand all of what is being presented here in Revelation. Revelation gives a lot of detail concerning the tribulational period, but it assumes that you know some things from the Old Testament in order to get a cohesive understanding of what is being presented here. Daniel chapter 9 is one of those places that we really need to understand. In fact, the whole book of, of Daniel actually needs to be understood to, under, to, to really understand what's going on in Revelation. But Daniel chapter 9 tells us that essentially the nation of Israel has 490 years of history left in terms of God's plan for this kingdom to come to the world. And uh, obviously there's a lot that goes into this and we've been referring to it in the past weeks, but essentially from a time shortly after Daniel's life, which is 500, give or take, years before Christ, uh, a decree went out to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. When Daniel is in Babylon, Jerusalem has been destroyed by the Babylonians. Now the Persians are in power when Daniel receives this message. He's told that there's going to be a decree to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. From that time period forward, 483 years are going to take place, and then the Messiah is going to be cut off, this prophecy in Daniel 9 says. The Messiah is going to die. That's why there's a lot of Jewish people who were anticipating the Messiah at the time that Jesus was born. We saw that in our study of Luke. They saw this prophecy. They knew, hey, the time is coming. The Messiah should be here. Here he is. And he gets cut off, just like it says in Daniel chapter 9. And that will leave 490 minus 483 leaves us with seven years left for the nation of Israel. That's Daniel 9, uh, 27. Indicates that a prince of the people who are to come is going to make a treaty with the world and the nation of, of Israel specifically. And so the people who are to come, turns out that was Rome. So this, there's going to be a prince, a leader from this Roman Empire who in the future, at the beginning of this seven-year period of history that they have left, is going to make a treaty with the nation of Israel. That's this guy. That's the Antichrist is the one who is going to do that. And he brings this kind of pseudo peace that we have seen. But it turns out that he is the man of lawlessness, he's described in the book of Daniel, also in Second Thessalonians. So for the nation of Israel and for the prophetic time clock, if it as it is, as described from the book of Daniel, that clock starts ticking again when the Antichrist is revealed to the world 
and he makes a treaty with the nation of Israel, offering them peace somehow. That clock hasn't started ticking yet. This event has not happened. This is a future event. It did not start ticking in 1948. It will start when this seal is broken, this rider on the white horse, an imitation Jesus, an imitation Messiah, comes into the world. Oh, and incidentally, have you seen the, the news articles just this last week talking about the world needs a leader at this time in history? We need somebody to solve this problem of Russia and Ukraine. Uh, Joe Biden can't do it. Boris Johnson is marginally more coherent than Joe Biden. He can't do it. Uh, we need somebody to come in here and, and solve this problem for us. The world is aching for this person to come and solve our problems. Next, the second seal is broken. So he brings this pseudo peace, but then war comes we've seen with the second seal. Probably a biblically significant war, I would, I would propose. Uh, when we want to look for solutions to difficulties in the Bible, I think the best way to do that is to, to apply things that we see in the Bible. Try to make those fit, not come up with things from our own imagination. So, so a uh, very significant end times war is Ezekiel, found in the, another important passage, Ezekiel 38 and 39. Uh, and we've seen a, a little bit of that. And in the world today, we very much see the world dividing between East and, and West uh, in, in this world. And that's, that's basically what's described in Ezekiel 38 and 39, an Eastern sort of confederation of nations, Russia, Iran, uh, Turkey is a part of that. And they come along with Libya and Sudan and uh, people from the nations of the Caucasus all come against Israel in the end times, in a, in a war that's not going to be over in a matter of days. I mean, Russia's invaded Ukraine three weeks ago, and they haven't, they haven't gotten that. Imagine invading the entirety of, of the Middle East. That's going to be quite a, quite a campaign. And unfortunately, for those of us who live in the West, this uh, prince of the people who is to come he comes from our side, <laughs> uh, it, it seems. P the prince of the people who are to come, that's Roman Empire, that's the West. And the West is aligning itself against Russia and the East. Uh, so he will, so this Antichrist, who is probably going to play some sort of role in this uh, second seal warfare, is uh, going to come from what is often referred to as a revived Roman Empire of some sort. Have you seen a map of NATO countries lately? This is, these are the ones with the hashes, if you can see, that are members of both NATO and the EU. 
these, the blue countries are just members of NATO. Here's America and Canada over here. But at any rate, here, that's, that's NATO. Here's Russia. Here's Ukraine uh, right there. Caucus nations are down in this, this area. Ezekiel 38 and 39 show, has this nation, these nations, Turkey. Oh, Turkey's still connected to NATO at this point in time. Uh, Libya, Iran, all invade the nation of Israel in the Middle East. So keep the, here's NATO. Here's the Roman Empire in A.D. Uh, 117. Very, very similar uh, looking map. The Antichrist is going to come from somewhere. I would probably put him somewhere over here <laughs> in the, from the Roman Empire. Very similar to that map of the NATO nations. We're kind of seeing the stage being set for these events. The third seal we saw was an uh, uh, unprecedented economic troubles. Now, uh, people will oftentimes say that war, warfare, you know, this is just a logical progression of, of events. You know, you have peace, and then you have war, and then you have famine and, and economic difficulties. Well, if we just kind of go back in history and look, I, d I don't know that that's necessarily true. For example, look at America. Sometimes it definitely is for the losers of a war, it will definitely cause some issues, but the winners a lot of times enjoy economic benefits from going to war. Look at America, uh, post-World War II, one of the biggest boom times uh, in our history, economically speaking. It's not going to be that way in the tribulation. The third seal brings uh, economic difficulties on an unprecedented level really to the world it would it would seem here that people are having to work for an entire day just to get enough food to feed themselves they're having to measure out their food that's why this rider has the scales in his in his hands so things are getting progressively worse it started out great oh peace and love and unity and then warfare and now people are starving to death it would seem. And the fourth seal, it gets even worse. When the, the lamb breaks the fourth seal, a pale horse or an ashen horse with Hades falling, following behind, the rider on the horse is named Death. And about a quarter of the world's population dies at this fourth seal. There's war. There's more war. There's more famine. There's disease on top of it. Wild animals are even killing people. Signs of judgment that God has described for the nation of Israel, that he kind of uh, is giving them a heads up. Yeah, you're going to be judged with all of these uh, horrendous events, war, famine, disease, wild animals killing you, not just eating you after you're dead, but they're responsible uh, for the death. One quarter of the world's population, if that happened today, it would be 1,750,000,000 people, give or take a few million. <laughs> What's another million people? Uh, 
death on an unprecedented scale is what is described in the fourth seal. And then with the fifth seal, John is allowed to see martyrs, people who gave their lives uh, during this tribulation period because of the word of God and the testimony which they had maintained, Revelation 6, 9 says. This is cancel culture taken to its logical uh, extreme or its logical end, if you, if you will. These people aren't being taken off Facebook or denied access to YouTube. They're being killed for the things that the Word of God says and their faithfulness to it. But they, they, along with us, have the promise that nothing can separate us from the love of God. So although there are uh, these, all of these horrendous events are taking place in the world, uh, just wait, it gets even worse as we move to the great day of their wrath. These things are the day of wrath, but now with the sixth seal, we see things starting to uh, become even more intense as it becomes even more obvious to the world that God is the one who is doing these things to the earth. We will see uh, in this sixth seal, signs on the earth, signs in the skies, and scenes of desperation. Notice again, with, it begins with signs on the earth, Revelation six twelve, where it says, I looked when he broke the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake. Notice again, of course, John, he is the one who's seeing this. I looked when he, Christ, broke the sixth seal. Jesus is the one, once again, if we didn't get it the first five times, here's another one for us. Jesus is the one breaking this sixth seal as well. And when he does, a great earthquake comes upon the earth. Now, this is an earthquake that is unlike uh, any other earthquake that has happened in this world up until this time, as far as, as far as we know. There may have been an earthquake similar to this in the days of the flood, but uh, in a, uh, the geological association or whatever it's called didn't exist in the days of, of Noah to keep records. This is an unprecedented earthquake uh, that takes place. The first, actually, of four earthquakes that are mentioned in the book of Revelation. Uh, you will see one in Revelation 8.5, Revelation 11.13, Revelation 16.18 describes with the seventh bowl a, an earthquake that's even greater than this one. That, that will be the granddaddy of all earthquakes. Now, when we're seeing these multiple earthquakes, that doesn't mean that the, that the book of Revelation is just repeating information. Uh, that's what's known as recapitulation, the recapitulation theory, that the, that the seals, trumpets, and bowls are all just talking about the same, the same thing. Well, there's a problem with that, just numerically, for one. Uh, the sixth seal brings a great earthquake. 
the seventh bowl brings an earthquake. You would think God could get his numbers right there if they're all talking about the same the same event. No, they're not. The reason why they don't match is because they're not talking about the same event. There are four earthquakes mentioned in the book of Revelation. This just happens to be the first one. And so uh, something to take away from this uh, is that an earthquake or even multiple earthquakes, or even earthquakes in uh, strange places are today are not a sign of the tribulation. Uh, we don't need to have seismometers in our, in our living rooms. Oh, there's another earthquake. The, the rapture is one second closer. No, the rapture is one second closer because the clock just ticked. We don't have to look for for earthquakes. There hasn't been the peace treaty. There hasn't been the war. There hasn't been famine. There hasn't been death on an unprecedented scale. We're not seeing martyrdom throughout the entirety of the world because of what the Word of God says and because of people's faithfulness to it. Therefore, we aren't seeing the sixth seal being broken. So why? Why could there be more uh, uh, earthquakes today than, than, there are, than there have been in the past, supposedly? And unfortunately, some, some uh, pastors and teachers who we would otherwise agree with a lot of things that they have to say uh, are essentially tracking earthquakes and using that as a sign that we are close to the end. Well, I... We're close to the end for, the, for a number of reasons. Earthquakes is not one of them. Why are there more earthquakes today? Well, perhaps our ability to detect earthquakes has improved over the last hundred years. Uh, a lot, we've made an awful lot of technological uh, advances in those times. Perhaps there are more seismometers around the world today than there were a hundred years ago. Just throwing it out there. Uh, it's, uh, it's also known that fracking, for one, causes earthquakes. That's why they were having earthquakes in Oklahoma and these places in, in America that are kind of strange places to have uh, earthquakes. Well, we, we know that fracking, forcing water down into the earth, causes earthquakes. And they've kind of made some advances in that uh, area. So... An earthquake, even maybe a big one, isn't necessarily a sign that we are in the tribulation. Number one reason why we're still here. The tribulation doesn't begin until after the rapture of the church. Read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 about that. It makes it very clear as well as uh, Revelation 3.10, 1 Thessalonians 1.10, all of these places in the Bible that we've, that we've talked about. Uh, we don't need to be looking for earthquakes. Uh, this earthquake, it says there in uh, Revelation, uh, later it will say, verse 14, that every mountain and island were moved out of their places. 
And uh, most scholars will connect the end of verse 14 back to verse 12 and say, well, see, here's this earthquake and every mountain and every island is moved out of its place. Uh, that's, That's entirely possible. It's also very possible that that the author, John, through the working of the Holy Spirit, is using a legitimate, literal technique known as hyperbole to make the point that this is a really big earthquake that is affecting the entirety of the earth. There's nothing wrong, or we don't need to... uh, uh, panic or or get worried about our literal interpretation when saying that it, when we say that an author might use a figure of speech to make his point the point is that there is a really uh intense earthquake that affects the entirety of the earth where we see people hiding in the mountains if all the mountains are gone how do they hide in the mountains. We're going to see even later here. I believe that he's probably using hyperbole here, especially when Revelation 16, 12 tells us that then in that earthquake, the mountains will disappear. Islands will move from their places. That seems a little bit more uh, literal there in that earthquake, and that can't happen uh, twice. So here I would say that John is probably using hyperbole to get across the point that this is an intense earthquake, unlike any earthquake that people have seen in the past. And so another one of those very, very important places in the Bible that lays out an end times uh, kind of plan, if you will, is the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24 and 25. And when we study that, which we have done in the past, so I won't take a, a, a tremendous amount of time here to go through all of this information, we see that these events that are taking place in, tribu- in the book of Revelation line up very closely with what Jesus described as being signs of the end. That's what he was asked about, if you'll remember Back in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is asked a question or two, some people even think three questions, uh, about what is to take place in the future. Matthew 24, last days of Jesus' earthly life, it says, Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. Verse 3, As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, which is across the way, across a, a large valley from the temple mount in Jerusalem, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? What sort of sign should we be looking for for you to come again to this earth to establish your kingdom upon the earth? We know that the, that the apostles very much thought that, and rightly so, 
that the Messiah and the kingdom go together. When you, he's already told him he's going to die, he's going to heaven, but he's going to come again. Uh, and so they, they understand that much of the story. Okay, when is this going to happen? What should we be looking for when you come again to establish your kingdom? And Jesus answered, verse 4, and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. Rider on the white horse, bringing pseudo-peace to the nation of Israel, don't be deceived. But he's going to come and he's going to mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. Wars and rumors of wars is not something that Jesus is describing that's happening today in the church age. He is describing events that will take place in the tribulation. These are signs of his coming. There are 20 different conflicts going on in the world today. There uh, Wars and rumors of wars have been happening since the beginning of, of time, essentially, since Noah. That is not a specific sign of the end today. In the future, it will be, as we have seen, the first seal, pseudo-peace, second seal, war, third seal, famine, uh, he mentions martyrdom in Matthew 24 and verse 9. Earthquake is mentioned in Matthew 24 and verse 7. Uh, signs in the heavens are mentioned in a parallel passage, Luke 21 and verse 11. These events that, that are being described here in Revelation chapter 6 match up very closely with events that are described by Jesus in the Olivet Discourse, indicating to us that they're talking about the same thing. They're talking about events that lead up to Jesus coming again to establish his kingdom on the earth. And there, there are even more signs, not just signs on the earth, this great earthquake, but there are also signs in the skies. Notice the rest of verse uh, 12. After the great earthquake, it says the second half of Revelation 6, 12, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island moved out of their places. What we are seeing here is the very foundations of creation being shaken, which is an obvious sign that uh, this is something outside of our, our control. We can't make a peace treaty 
and make the sun not be black, or we can't stop earthquakes uh, from happening that are shaking the entire world. But the next thing that happens is, is that the sun becomes black, black as sackcloth made of hair. Again, another figure of speech that is being used there to describe the sun effectively losing uh, at least part of its power to, to be able to shine. Not an eclipse, uh, but a, some sort of miraculous happening. In a eclipse, uh, an eclipse of the sun or an eclipse of the moon where it, it turns blood red is something obviously that is very predictable. You can go to websites and see the exact time that every eclipse is going to happen upon the earth and where it will be the most intense. There are people who travel all over the world to see these, see these uh, take place because they're very predictable. This is not describing a predictable event. In the, both uh, the, the Old Testament, the sun becoming black or losing its ability to shine is something that was prophesied in the Old Testament as well. Uh, Isaiah chapter 13 and verse 10, a sign of the end, Old and New Testament. Isaiah 13, 10, for the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises and the moon will not shed its light. Isaiah 13 says of the end times. Uh, A Passage that we're familiar with, Joel chapter 2, also speaking of the end, the end of, of time as we know it before the kingdom begins. It's not describing uh, the beginning of the church. It's describing the end times, Joel 2.10. Before them, the earth quakes, the heavens trum- tremble, the sun and the moon grow dark and the stars lose their brightness. Also in Joel chapter 2 and verse 30, God says, I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Uh, Matthew 24, Jesus also in the Olivet Discourse says, but immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. That's what we are beginning to see happen here with the sixth seal. These, the powers of the, of the heavens are beginning to be shaken. This will happen again later in the tribulation. That's why way down in verse 29 of Matthew 24, Jesus mentions this immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. This is, we're going to see this happen again as we make our way into the tribulation. This is just kind of a precursor that's happening here. Just something to get your attention, uh, like the, the uh, preview of a movie or the trailer of a movie plays and you kind of get the the theme of what's going to happen. That's what we're seeing here, the trailer for the rest of of the tribulation that is to take place. Now, there in uh, Joel chapter 2 
and verse 30, it says that these things will happen before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Now, some dispensationalists will take this and run with it and say, oh, we've got to be looking for the sun to go black. It's going to happen before the tribulation. When that happens, then we'll know we're really close to the rapture. Uh, Well, the problem with that is that this phrase, day of the Lord, is not a technical term. It doesn't mean the same thing every time we see it. Sometimes it's used to describe the whole tribulation, true. Sometimes it's used to to describe the day, the very day of the second coming. You know, that that's a historical event. Whatever day of the year it is, that it's going to be a day of the year. Uh, it maybe it's uh, March 12th of 2033. I I don't know. <laughs> but it could be. It will be an actual day on the calendar. Sometimes that's referred to as the day of the Lord. And that's what I think Joel, the way Joel is using that term here to describe the great and terrible and uh, great and awesome day of the Lord. When he comes again, that is going to be a great and awesome day. And before that happens, the sun is going to be darkened. Oh, by the way, day of the Lord can also refer to the kingdom. It can also refer to all of these together, tribulation, second coming, kingdom, and even the eternal state. So it's a very broad term. And you have to go to the context to see what it is describing there. And when you combine all these other passages with speaking of the sun being darkened with Joel chapter 2, Yeah, it's pointing to the tribulation, not before the tribulation begins. Notice also that the moon becomes like blood. Another figure of speech there that John uses. The sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood. Figure of speech, not saying it becomes blood, it looks like like blood. Very similar to an eclipse. Again, not an eclipse. An eclipse is something that is very predictable. That wouldn't be a sign of anything. So when you see uh, some teachers, unfortunately, saying, oh, we've had a blood moon. We've had four blood moons in a row. You know, that's a sign of something. Well, it's uh, a sign is not something that is predictable. Like the sun coming up tomorrow morning is not a sign of anything. It's, it's going to happen. Uh, uh, we can rest assured of that. We may not see it because we might be raptured before the sun comes up tomorrow, but the sun is going to rise tomorrow. That's not a sign of anything. An eclipse isn't a sign of anything. This is a miraculous turning of the sun to look as if it's blood, to look as if it's an eclipse. So it's something that people are familiar with. They know that that can happen, but we know when it's going to happen. Uh, This is not that. This is something that is happening miraculously. It is a sign that something is going on in this world that is out of our control Also, stars falling from the sky. That's something that's out of our control. Verse 13, Revelation 6. And the stars fell 
The stars of the sky fell on the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. Now, I personally am not familiar with fig trees, but we're familiar with apples around here. If the wind blows really hard, uh, ripe apples can fall fall to the ground. Uh, I imagine a fig tree is pretty similar to that. Uh, this, too, is another event that is, is prophesied about in the Old and New Testament. Jesus mentions Mark 13, 25, stars falling from heaven and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Again, all of creation, uh, earth and the universe essentially is being shaken here. There's something massive going on. It, it might possibly be an unprecedented meteor shower. Do you remember a few years ago when when the meteor came in over Russia and they exploded and actually did damage to, to buildings and that kind of thing, like literally uh, fire and brimstone coming down on, on the earth. It could be something similar to that. It could also be, like it says, stars of the sky falling from the heavens. One of the other passages that we read mentioned the constellations not uh, shining Anymore. That's kind of a big deal. We've lost touch with that in most of our uh, uh, navigation these days because we have things like GPS and that. But uh, believe it or not, ships and even airplanes still rely on stars to navigate. So if stars are, are falling out of the skies, that's a big deal. Uh, <laughs> In the world, that's gonna that's going to cause some some problems, as are the rest of these judgments coming upon the world. These are cataclysmic events that can only be explained as acts of God. Uh, speaking of which, the sky being rolled up like a scroll. You know, honestly, I'm not I'm not even really sure what that what that is, what that is describing. I can't even imagine. Imagine that. But these people living in the tribulation period are going to see it happen. Isaiah 34 talks about uh, this happening in the end times. The sky splitting in half and rolling up like a scroll. Yeah, that's, that's going to get your attention. That is going to make you, as an unbeliever, a very desperate person which leads us to these scenes of desperation. Notice Revelation 6 and verse 15. It says, Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath it has come. And who is able to stand? Notice first, this is all levels of society are being affected by this. This isn't uh, you know, George Soros, Elon Musk, uh, uh, Jeff Bezos, <laughs> uh, Putin, whoever. Insert your person here. Their money, their wealth, their power, their influence in the world is not going to be able to save them from this calamity that is falling upon the earth. 
And they know it. That's why they are desperate. We have uh, the kings of the earth, leaders of nations, the great men. I, I, you know, there are some uh, times in American history, we, we watched a documentary kind of docudrama series about the men of, I can't remember what it was called, but the great men kind of, of in America of the industrial uh, revolution. Carnegie and, and these kinds of people. Well, that we have the same thing today, some of those names that I mentioned. I think that's what's being described here, these quote-unquote great men who are doing incredible things in the world, make no doubt about it, but they're, they're, these types of people are mentioned here, uh, leaders of business, uh, and I have in my notes a rabbit trail about nations and businesses working together. That's what fascism actually is. <laughs> uh, in spite of what you see in, in the news and on commentary reports and these kinds of things, the fascists aren't necessarily peop- just people who hate Jews <laughs> and wanted them dead in, in Germany. No, fascists are people who believe in business and government colluding together to come to some sort of agreement and working together to accomplish their ends. Have you seen the list of companies that aren't doing business in Russia anymore? Are they just doing that of their own volition or are they being encouraged to do that by the governments of the world? You can make your own decision on that. Uh, But at any rate, these people, leaders of nations, leaders of businesses, leaders of militaries, the wealthy, the physically strong, and oh, by the way, the slaves and free men, that's, that's kind of you and me. <laughs> we're, we're slaves of whoever we're working for. We might, we, maybe we're free men. We're free to work for whoever we want. We're, we're way down here on this list. Uh, not that we're going to be the ones in these scenes of desperation, but that all people from the top to the bottom are going to be desperate in this situation of unprecedented warfare, unprecedented economic difficulty and famine and death and disease. You think COVID is bad. We're talking worldwide. A quarter of the population is being killed. And oh, by the way, they're, they're killing Christians or uh, believers uh, at the same time. Uh, all of this is going on. The, the scene that is being set here in Revelation chapter 6 is one that is uh, almost unimaginable to, to us. And now, on top of all that, we've had an earthquake that affects the whole world. The stars are falling from the sky. The sun isn't shining. The moon looks weird. This isn't good. These people are wishing for death. It says, verse 16, They said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Uh, Isaiah talked about this. In Isaiah chapter 2, he described this same thing as taking place. 
Isaiah 2.19, men will go into caves of the rocks and into the holes of the ground before the terror of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty when he arises to make the earth tremble. Revelation is showing us when this is going to happen. Revelation 9.6 also tells us that these people uh, want to die because of the things that are happening to them. We'll see that in the fifth trumpet, Revelation 9, 6. And in those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die and death flees from them. Again, just kind of getting the, the trailer uh, of, of what is to come here uh, in the future part of the tribulation. These people are wishing for death and they know who is doing this. Pre-wrath rapturous may not know who is doing it, but these people on the earth at the time of the tribulation will know who is doing this. Fall on us, Revelation 9 or 6:16 and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne, God the Father, and from the wrath of the Lamb, God the Son. They know that God is the one who is pouring out this judgment upon the world. The Bible is very, very clear and explicit that Jesus Christ is the one breaking the seals and God the Father God the Son are the ones who are responsible for this, and it is for the purpose of bringing the nation of Israel to faith in Christ as their Messiah. The great day of their wrath has come. World war on unprecedented scale, famine, disease, death, the, the very foundations of creation are being shaken. This is what Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 7 describes as the day of Jacob's trouble or the day of Jacob's distress. Jeremiah 30 and verse 7 from the NASB says, Alas, for that day is great. There is none like it, and it is the time of Jacob's distress, but he will be saved from it. As messed up as our world is today, what we're seeing today is is probably not much different than than and in fact not as bad as it was in the middle ages during the time of of the plague for example uh germany post world war 1 incredible uh, famine economic distress their their country had been ruined in in World War One, after World War Two, it was ruined again. Uh, imagine how horrendously terrible life was for those people. This, however, Jeremiah says, there is none like it. It is the time of Jacob's distress. Daniel chapter twelve. Verse 1, now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise. Notice this, and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. That's what's being described in Revel beginning in Revelation chapter 
6, a time of distress has never occurred since there was a, a nation until uh, time. Zephaniah 1, 14 through 18. We've talked about that passage before, this great day of wrath, this day of the Lord that is going to come upon the world. That's what we're seeing being introduced here in Revelation chapter 6. And their, their last, or really their only question is very telling. Verse 17, for the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand? Well, there's an answer to, to that question. Who is able to stand? Believers in Jesus Christ are able to stand. You and I are able to stand. We will not go through this, but we are able to stand today in spite of whatever uh, tortures the world has to, to send after us. As believers in the church age, we are able to stand because Jesus Christ stood for us. And as believers, we are in him. Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in hope of the glory of God. Do you think those who are standing in Christ today would be subject to the wrath of God and the wrath of the Lamb that we are being witness to here in Revelation chapter 6? That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ today. People in the tribulation period can also have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through faith in him. They will be able to trust in him. Now, they very well may give their life for trusting in him, as is obvious from the fifth seal. But nevertheless, they will be able to stand in his presence because he is the one who overcame the world. He is the one that we trust in. He is the one who has done it all for us. So these people... These great men of the world, these people who seem to have it all figured out, they've got the answers to every question that there is to life. They have all the money to solve all the problems uh, in their lives, they think. But when the, when the foundations of the world begin to shake, who is able to stand? They have no idea because they have never uh, trusted in the Lamb, the one who died for them. We are also able to stand on a daily basis. This isn't just a promise for the future that, oh, I'll have eternal life, so it's all, it's all uh, fine and dandy. Uh, yeah, the Bible's pretty clear that we face difficulties in this life as believers. Today, we face uh, an innumerable number of, of obstacles trials, tribulations with a small T in this life. And, and how are we able to stand in those times? Revelation, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 is very clear on that. Revelation 6, Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, 
Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. We are able to stand in this world against all the forces of evil and not necessarily uh, just the George Soroses of the world and, and Pfizer and all of these people. That's not what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about sin and Satan and his demonic forces that want to lead us into sin and all of its incredible horrendous consequences. We are able to stand against that by trusting in the Lord, putting on, uh, having our loins girded with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the many other uh, articles that we talked about in our study of Ephesians that help us in our daily walk with the Lord, help us to be able to stand in times of trouble in this life today. So this is how uh, the book of Revelation, even though it's talking about the future, can be very applicable to us today if we just kind of step back and look at how these things apply to us today. So even though we will be raptured before this tribulation period begins, before that first seal is broken, we will be taken out of this world, and then the wrath of God and the wrath of the Lamb will be poured out upon this earth, we can know that we can stand by faith, through faith, because of God's grace in sending Christ into this world. We can look forward to that day when he will come again for us. Praise the Lord for that. So I've, uh, as we're going through these uh, judgments and this uh, horrendous uh, <laughs> events, these horrendous events that are going to take place in the future, I wanted to give us some uh, measure of hope. And here's another passage that makes very, very clear that, that it is impossible for us to be on this planet during this time. There must be a gap of time between when Christ comes at the rapture and when he comes again to the earth. Uh, logically, there must be a gap of time between the rapture and his coming to establish his kingdom upon the earth. Don't let anybody tell you anything different. Notice the words of our Lord. He is the one who introduced this idea of the rapture of the church or rapture or catching up of believers to go to heaven. Jesus himself introduced this. It was later expounded upon primarily by the apostle Paul. Uh, uh, Darby didn't come up with this doctrine. Uh, the apostle Paul 
actually expanded upon it. Jesus introduced it. John chapter 14, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. There's your one condition for salvation. Believing. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Notice this. And you know the way where I am going. He says it to them. You know where I'm going. I have told you many times, uh, we saw in our study of Luke, Jesus mentioned that he would be killed, die, resurrect, rise again, and return to heaven. They saw, they saw this happen. They saw all of these events. They saw him return to heaven. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Uh, they should have known where he was going. Later, they would obviously know where he was going. He returned to heaven. And so, logically, he's going to prepare a place for them. If he goes, he will come again to take us back to where he has gone. That's heaven. That's not on the earth. Jesus isn't somewhere secretly making a place for us on the earth. He is in heaven making a place for us today. And if he leaves, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. First Thessalonians 4, 13, he will come again, uh, catch us up to meet him in the air and take us, as it describes here, back to the Father's house. John 14, 6, I, Jesus says, am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you will only trust in Christ, you can have this promise of the future. No matter what you're going through today, whether it be health issues, financial issues, job issues, any issue, you have this promise as a believer that he will come again one day, catch you up, take you back to the Father's house, and you will be with him forever because he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through him. And this must, by definition, take place before he comes again uh, to establish his kingdom. Here at the rapture, he comes for us out of heaven before the tribulation begins. At the end of the tribulation, He comes with us to the earth to establish his kingdom upon the earth. In the the meantime, there will be a great day of, of wrath upon this earth. But praise the Lord, we as believers will not be here for that. Let's go to him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word that is so applicable to our lives. Even though it's describing events that that we won't participate in, we can still see how, how important it is for us to understand the things that you will do in the future. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to not be deceived in these times, that uh, we would comfort one another 
as 1 Thessalonians 4.18 says, with these truths that we, that we will not be here, that we can comfort unbelievers with the fact that they too can be delivered from this incredible time of tribulation that's coming upon the world. May you empower us to do that. May you give us the words to give to, to unbelievers, people who need the truth of salvation through faith in Christ. Give us the opportunity to do that and the courage to stand for you and the truth that we find in your word. And we will give you all of the praise and all of the glory for that. And, and it is in the name of your son that we pray. Amen.